Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8. I've mentioned in passing that Andrew and I are amateur gardeners. <laughs> Emphasis on on amateur. Uh, we don't really know what we're doing. I don't know what color our thumbs are, if they're green or not, but we're trying. Our cucumber plant is about dead, I think. Um, tomatoes are doing okay. Um, the peppers are okay. And uh, the zucchini are really unique. They're kind of feast or famine. If you have a zucchini plant and it produces all the zucchinis that it possibly could, we could feed the whole city of Louisville, I think, on our zucchini. Um, but the issue is that they, they keep coming up and they're, some of them shrivel and, and get mold on them or something. I don't know what's going on. So we're trying our best. But the things that I know about gardening are very minuscule. I know you need sunlight and you need water and you need dirt, right? You need all these things. And I can't do anything about the sunlight. So I, if there's sunlight, there's sunlight. They're getting that. Um, I can do something about the water. If it doesn't rain enough, I can spray them. But the soil thing, I don't really know much about the soil. We compost a little bit, but... The, the soil is extremely important. Is it is it compact? What are the nutrients in it? What, what's going on um, within that soil? And and I bring that up because that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about soil. Uh, Jesus gets into all these things about what what the soil of our hearts looks like, and the soil is so important. And I think this is the main point that we're going to look at here in Luke eight one through fifteen, and it's this: the fruit of the truth planted in our lives, is determined by the soil of our hearts. It's a little bit long, but I'll say it again. The fruit of the truth that's planted in our lives is determined by the soil of our hearts. So in other words, what kind of fruit is going to grow out of of the truth that's been planted, the seed of the word, the seed of the truth, the, the fruit that's going to come out of that is determined by what kind of soil is in our hearts. What is What is the nature of our heart? That's going to determine the kind of fruit that grows out of that. And and as we look at this passage, the emphasis is is, is so often in verses 4 through 15 on the parable of, of the sower, the parable of the seeds, however you want to think about it. But there's, I think, a real-life example of what happens when the truth of God's Word is planted in someone's life and fruit blossoms out of it. There's a real-life example that we're going to look at in verses 1 through 3, and then we'll look at the illustration in verses 4 through 15. But let's go ahead and read this passage, Luke chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 15. Follow along with me. It says, Soon afterwards he, being Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. The fruit of the truth planted in our lives is determined by the soil of our hearts. And I think what we have here right at the beginning, verses 1 through 3, like I said, is an example of this, of the truth being planted in the hearts of some people and the fruit that comes out of that. If you look right at the beginning there, it just says, Soon afterwards Jesus went on through cities and villages. So he's he's going on a tour, a, a preaching tour, if you were. He's going through cities and villages, and he's proclaiming the truth of the message. And what's the message that he's proclaiming and bringing? It's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's just look at a couple things. First, proclaiming and bringing. There's there's two words there, right? That he's he's proclaiming, which is a, a word for kind of heralding. It's 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 preaching. He's he's speaking with words. He's saying, "This is what the kingdom of God is. This is the message. This is the good news that I'm that I'm bringing." And he's speaking it out with his words. My translation has then it's bringing, so proclaiming and bringing the good news. I don't know if we want to get too um, divide those words up too much, but I think what we have seen in the book of Luke, haven't we, is that that as Jesus proclaims the message of the gospel, doesn't he also bring the message of the kingdom to bear on people's lives? We've said that we've watched him heal. And what is the purpose of the healing? The healing points to the fact that Jesus can heal us of the greatest disease that we have, our need for forgiveness of sins. That, that Jesus causes people to rise from the dead. Why? To say that we are all dead in our sins and we need to be resurrected. That he, uh, he casts out demons. Why? To say that the kingdom of God has come and there is power over demonic forces. That Jesus has power over all of these things. And so as he comes, he preaches these things and then he proves them in a sense, that he preaches not only in word, but also in deed. So he does the work of the kingdom, and he proclaims the work of the kingdom. I think often in Christianity, we, we people have conversations about how we need to, to proclaim the gospel more with words. And other people say, we just need to do more good deeds in the name of Jesus. And I think Jesus would say, yes, you need to do both of those things, and you need to do them both at the exact same time. That as we do good deeds and God gives us opportunity to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, we say it. We speak it forth with our mouths. We have to. But also that we don't just proclaim truth and then never do any good to others. Never show the kindness of Christ or the good news of the kingdom through what we do. I think this is something like with our community picnic. The community picnic was more focused, wasn't it, on doing good. 
And yet at the same time, I walked around and I heard conversations that were happening where people were bringing God's word to bear on the lives of others. That people were talking about the goodness of God. That people were inviting others to church. So it's, it's word and deed. It's both and. And we should never pit these things against each other. But in our lives, that's what it should look like. That we, we're not afraid to speak forth the kingdom, but we also show forth the kingdom in the way that we live. That's the message, isn't it? Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. It's so great, isn't it, that the core of what we teach, this, this word gospel, means good news. Well, doesn't everyone want good news? And that's that's the core of what we say. We come to people and we say, you know what? I've got good news for you. There's so much bad news. And we as Christians have the opportunity to say, when we talk to you, we want to tell you some good news. Good news of the kingdom of God, of the reign of God, the fact that that Jesus is in control, that he is reigning over all things. And what is the good news of the kingdom of God? I think it's good just to jump right back in the, the three verses that close out chapter 7 and, and pick up on some key words as Jesus speaks to the sinful woman. Verse 48, he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What's the good news of the kingdom? That our sins can be forgiven. What's the good news of the kingdom? It's that by faith we can be saved from God's wrath. What's the good news of the kingdom? That Jesus has come to make peace between God and man. He's come to set us right between uh, us and God. What a wonderful message that we have to proclaim. And so Jesus is going through cities and villages. He's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So the truth is proclaimed. You notice there that the 12 are present. The 12 are with him. Just a good reminder that the 12 are always with him, watching him, what he's doing, learning from how he's teaching. But, but the emphasis is in verses 2 and 3, which is in the response of a group of women. The, these women are, are named. Three of them are named. Um, and then there's just kind of a group. So the, these women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. First we have Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Think about that. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Now, Mary Magdalene's past has been expanded upon, and there's things that people say about her that maybe were true, maybe weren't, but, but what we know for sure is that this woman had seven demons that she was possessed with at one point, and Jesus came and released her from them. Then we meet this, this woman, Joanna, who was the wife of a guy named Chuzza, that's how I would pronounce it, um, Herod's household manager. This is a woman probably of some standing in society. Herod, Herod was one of the rulers of that area, and her husband was the manager of Herod's household. So this woman is, is pretty high up, if you think about in society. I think there's a contrast there, isn't there, between Mary Magdalene, who would have had seven demons. Just imagine what life was like for her, and then Joanna. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Then Susanna, who we don't really know much about, and then many others who provided for them out of their means. Just three things to, to simply point out about this. Um, remember, what, what's Luke always emphasizing? Luke is always emphasizing Jesus' love for the outcast, Jesus' love for the poor, for those that are rejected by society. And as we look at this, we see Jesus' love for those on the fringes of society. That might sound strange in our society, and I'm not saying women are on the fringes, but in this society they were. Um, a rabbi like Jesus typically would not invite women to come and to be a part of his ministry. And yet Jesus 
invites them to come and to participate in what he's doing. It seems as if they are even following with him. And you have to wonder if it's not just that they're providing for him financially, but even as as women come with needs and the disciples maybe are not able to, to address those, that maybe these women are there to help with, with counsel, to help them understand the truth of the kingdom. And Jesus is involving these women. Jesus loves those that are on the fringes of society. Jesus has a heart for all people, women included. I think that's interesting. I just think about our society, and, and so often we say that the Bible is oppressive to women, that, that Christianity is oppressive to women. And I think that the the opposite is true. Now, of course, I'm I'm speaking as a man, and I recognize that. But I, but I just want to say, I think that, that Christianity, it, it lifts women up. It, it blesses women. Jesus is here saying, these women are a part of my ministry. And Luke has been showing that throughout, hasn't he? The, the first key character that is that is lifted up in the in the Gospel of Luke is who? Elizabeth. And then Zechariah, who, who is a great guy, isn't really shown in a totally positive light, especially in contrast to who? To Mary. To Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is lifted up. Then they go into the temple, and who does Luke bring forward? Anna. Anna the prophetess who is there serving. And then we've seen him highlight the widow at Nain. We've seen him highlight this sinful woman. Simon the Pharisee is taught by who? A sinful woman. Not only was she sinful, but she was a woman. And Luke is bringing this to light to say Jesus Jesus values those that are on the fringes of society. He values women. And I, I just, I'm just compelled to say the, the gospel, Christianity, the Bible is a blessing to all people regardless of their gender. It is not something where men are exalted above women, but rather it is meant to be the place where, where we thrive most if we would follow God's plan uh, for men and women. For, for marriage, uh, for families, that that is the way that we, that we are most fruitful, that we are most blessed by following God's standard. Jesus did not come to oppress women. He came to lift them up. Um, I think that's a lovely truth here that we see. So Jesus loves those on the fringes of society. Jesus unites diverse people, kind of pointed out that with Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna, who maybe would have been totally different ends of the spectrum in society. And then maybe you put, I don't know what Susanna was like, but maybe she's middle class. We'll put her right in the middle. And Jesus unites them all, puts them them all together. Galatians 3.28, we know this. It says, there is neither in Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you're all one in Christ. Everyone is united, regardless of gender, regardless of economy, economic status, regardless of, of ethnicity. Everyone comes together. How? In Christ. That's where it's at. Luke's been emphasizing the poor too, hasn't he? But these women seem to be women of means, it says. So that they have some nobility, Joanna does. They have some some riches. Um, so if Jesus just came for the poor, then he's excluding the rich. But but first Corinthians two or first Corinthians one twenty six, you think about this, he tells them to look around and he says, um, this is first Corinthians one verse twenty six, for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That very often it's those that are poor, that don't have much, that Jesus calls to himself, but not always. J.I. Packer says this in his book, Knowing God. He says, I want to point out that it does say, not many wise, 
not many mighty, not many noble. It doesn't say that you cannot be saved if you are a noble man, if you are a mighty person, or if you are a wise person. Then he tells this, Queen Victoria was a great Christian woman, a very godly woman, and her godliness was reflected in the era of which she was Queen of England. But Queen Victoria is supposed to have said to the Archbishop of Canterbury at one time, you know, I am saved by an M. And the Archbishop said, I'm sorry, Your Majesty, I don't know what you mean. You are saved by an M. And she quoted this scripture and said, you'll notice it does not say, not any noble. It says, not many noble. And I am thankful, she said, for that M. I love that. Isn't that great? That the M is there to say that, that Jesus, yes, the, the poor almost have an easier way because they see their sin, they see their need, but it's not that it excludes anyone. The gospel is open to all and it unites all. This, this group of women, Mary Magdalene and, and, and Joanna and Susanna and all the others, they're brought together because of their love for Christ. In no other means would they be brought together. And I love that about our church. We look around, and what we want to be is, is a group where, where people walk in and they say, why in the world are all these people hanging out? They have nothing in common. And we say, well, we have one thing in common if we have nothing else in common, and it's our faith in Christ. And I think that's what these women had in common, and uh, Jesus unites diverse people. And then finally, just that grateful giving is the overflow of their lives. Grateful giving is the overflow of their lives. We saw this with the sinful woman. Remember how she came and she gave freely and unhindered. She gave to Jesus this, this perfume that she poured out on his feet that would have been so costly. And it was out of the overflow of her thanksgiving, her gratefulness for what Christ had done. And these women had been changed. And so they gave out of their means to support the work of Jesus' ministry. That's what, that's what flows when we see what Christ has done. We, we give. We give freely to support the work of the ministry. If we've been changed by Jesus, then we give. And you think about how integral these women were to what Jesus was doing. Why was he able to go from town to town, from cities and the villages, and to proclaim the truth? Why were the disciples allowed to be a part of this? Because these women faithfully gave to make it possible. These are a key part of Jesus' ministry. And so they're in the background. Well, Susanna, we know her name. What about the many others? There's women that could raise their hand and say, I was a part of that many others. My name didn't make it in the book of Luke, but I was there and I was faithful and I was doing what I was called to do. And I think that's very often what we do, that we give, maybe it's financially, maybe we give of our time, but we give of our resources, whatever it might be, to see the work of the ministry go forward. That's the overflow of our lives. So the fruit of our life, the fruit of the truth planted in our lives is determined by the soil of our hearts. And what I think happens here is the, the truth is planted in the heart's of these women, and it overflows into fruit. And the fruit is this unity that they have. The, the fruit is the grateful giving that flows out of their lives. And so they are, they've been changed by Jesus. And we see that the truth sinks down deep in it, and it bears fruit. The gospel goes forth. The, the word goes forth, and it lands in their hearts, and it blossoms into fruit. But that's not what always happens. That's the example. Let's think about this story. It says in verse 4, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. I think that's significant. So there's a big group coming. Everyone's coming to Jesus. And now he's going to let them know, here's what's, here's what's going on. Here's what happens when I teach. He's going to tell this, this story, this, this parable. He said in a parable. A parable, it's a, maybe you've heard this definition. It's a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You ever hear that? 
So it's a, it's a story. Is Jesus giving instructions about farming? <laughs> no, he's not telling us how to farm and what soils to pick out and where to put our seed. He's he's giving us a truth, and he's telling it in the form of a story that then helps us to understand it better. But not only does it help us to understand it better, but it also, he says, it, it helps some people not to understand it. Verse 9, he says, when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. It's interesting, the, the parables, they they reveal, and they hide at the same time. That's what they're doing. Let me just read this from a, a commentary I read that I found was helpful. Um, parables both reveal and conceal truth. They reveal it to the genuine seeker, who will take the trouble to dig beneath the surface and discover the meaning. But they conceal it from him who is simply who is content simply to listen to the story. This is plainly the result of the parables, but Jesus says it's also their purpose. Parables are a mine of information to those who are earnest, but they are a judgment on the casual and careless. Jesus is a great master teacher, and he tells these stories, and as he tells them, it enlightens truth for some that are willing to dig down deep and want to understand it. But for others, it's judgment. They don't understand it. Because it's a secret. Isn't that interesting? It's been given to you to know secrets of the kingdom. Jesus is telling us a secret. These, these are things that not everyone knows. And he speaks it in such a way that, that only those who can hear, hear. Andrew and I do that sometimes with our kids. We used to be able to spell. We would spell words, and, and then they wouldn't know exactly what we were talking about. Um, now we can't do that. Because Elaine picks up on it really quick. she's She's got her spelling down. But uh, today is Andrew and I's 10th anniversary. And we've been married long enough that that we can say things. And I know exactly what she's talking about. And she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And the kids have no clue what we're talking about. And so it's, it's, it's almost like a parable. The truth is revealed to us, but it's concealed from our kids. And so we can talk about things that we want to do later that maybe we'll do, maybe we don't. We won't do. We don't want them to get too excited in case it doesn't happen. And so we speak in parables, if you will, so that we know what's going on. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is doing here. There are some who will see and hear and some who won't. And the encouragement that he gives at the very end is, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, dig down deep, seek to understand this. And he starts talking about a sower. He says a sower goes out. And he sows some seed in it. And it falls into four different places. It falls along the path where sometimes people walk over it or birds eat it. It falls on rocky soil where it, it grows up, but then it withers away. Some of it falls amongst a bunch of thorns, and the thorns come up and they choke out the plant. But some of it goes into good soil, and in that soil it, it causes a crop to grow forth. Now, again, Jesus isn't telling us about um, how to grow crops. And so he, in verse 11, graciously gives us the interpretation. Here's the parable. With parables, very often what you want to do is you want to say, okay, what do the different things represent? What's the main idea? We can get a little crazy with parables, and you can start assigning meaning to things, and uh, people have done that throughout the ages, so we have to be careful, but Jesus makes it very clear. The seed is what? The Word of God. It's the truth about God. It is It is the gospel. That's what the seed is. What are the soils? The soils are people, and I think we can specifically say, actually, that it's the hearts of people. I say that based on verse 15. Those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good 
heart. So there's different kinds of hearts that the word or the truth of God goes into that determine what kind of fruit is going to show up. So the seed is the word of God. The soils are the, the hearts of, of people, different kinds of hearts. So who's the sower? Jesus doesn't say. Uh, and I think what that means then is that the, the sower represents any way in which the word of God is proclaimed whether it's through preaching or through reading God's word or through some form of teaching or a conversation that any time that the word goes out, any time the truth about God goes out in any way, shape, or form, it falls into different hearts and and, and these, these different soils. What's in This is a great passage. If you ever want, just, you know, write these things out. See the parallels. What's the same about every heart? The same about every heart is that they all hear. Think about that. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear. Verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. Verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word. So all four soils hear the word. What's the difference between them? The difference is in especially in the last one. What happens with the last one? It bears fruit. That's the goal, bearing fruit. How do we know this is good soil? Because fruit came out of it. If you plant something in soil, if you planted a tomato plant, and it grew all summer long, and it was big and beautiful, but it didn't produce any fruit, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. So the key is fruit. They all hear, but not all produce fruit. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of the parable that he tells in, in Luke 6. The wise man built his house on the rock. It says that those who come to me and hear my words and what? Do them, they are wise. But the people who hear my words and don't do them, then they are the foolish ones. So we're kind of getting at the parable, what's going on here. Um, and I want to think about three levels sort of of application for this, okay? So now that we're kind of piecing it together, um, hopefully this is making sense. But one is that the word comes out in the form of the gospel, the good news about the kingdom. How do you respond to the gospel? What is what is the nature of your gospel, your heart response to the good news about Jesus? And then I want us to think about how, when we proclaim the gospel, how do other people respond? I think Jesus gives us some instruction to see how people respond when the word of God, when we tell others the word of God so that we can discern what's going on in this person's heart. And then also I think, how do we respond as followers of Christ as the word of God continually comes to bear in our hearts? What is the... What does it look like? So let's start first with, with the gospel. I think that's the primary application. Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom. Some of it falls along the path. And the enemy there is the devil. It goes on the path. It's, it's beaten down. The soil is, is, is rock hard. And it doesn't grow. Because the, the, the devil, these birds, the, the bird comes and devours it. That word devour, we know that Satan is a roaring lion. He wants to devour us. And he comes, and when the word, when the gospel goes into the heart of someone who has not received it, the goal of Satan, the goal of the devil, is to eat that up and not let it produce any fruit, no life, to keep it from there. He's, he's a deceiver, and so he lies about what the truth is. He's a destroyer, and so he destroys the truth that's in someone's heart. The devil is a real enemy of the gospel, that as we proclaim the gospel, and as you hear the gospel, that if you've never received Christ, then then Satan wants to eat that up and not let it sink down in, not let the gospel bear any fruit in your life. 
The enemy along the path is the devil. Then there's the rocks. I think we could put on this the enemy of on the rocks is the flesh. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root, for they believe for a while in time of testing or temptation, they fall away. Temptation comes, sin comes, and they fall away. Or, or, or maybe the, the, the gospel comes into the heart of someone who's never come to faith in Christ, and, and they say, I'm just too sinful. I can't. The gospel, I can't receive it. Jesus would never love someone like me. And, and the, the enemy there is the flesh, that the flesh comes and says, no fruit. We're not, this is not going to bear fruit in your life because of sin. Among the thorns, what's the enemy? And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The enemy is the world. The world comes and, and, and says, this is what's important. Don't believe the gospel because you need to seek after riches. You need to seek after fame. You need to seek after the cares of this world. You need to be more concerned about the pleasures of this life than about bearing fruit for Christ. And so there's all these enemies that are coming to try to, to stop the gospel from bearing fruit in the life of those who have never come to faith. The devil, the flesh, the world. You may think about this. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That, that, those are our primary enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you're hearing the gospel for the first time, then the onslaught is, in your heart, there is this desire for the devil to stop it, for for, for the flesh to keep it from bearing fruit, for the, the world, the cares of the world to come in and take over, and that there would be no gospel fruit in your life. It would not take root. But the desire uh, that I would have is that your heart would be good soil that you would hear the word and you would hold it fast, that it would go down into the soil in an honest and good heart and would bear fruit with patience. I think what's interesting about this, what is the seed? The seed is the word of God. And what does scripture tell us the word of God is? And the prophet says the word of God is a hammer. The word of God is a hammer. And so what's amazing is that that this soil, if it's got rocks and if it's beat down on the path, the word of God, actually that seed, it doesn't just sit there and can't do anything. It can be a hammer and it can break down in there. The word of God is a, is a sword. It can cut through. It can cut through into our hearts and expose who we are. And so when it comes and, and the weeds are there, it can chop the weeds down. The, the, the word of God is not inactive. It doesn't just have to sit there, but actually the word of God can be active. It can be a hammer. It can be a sword. It can, it can cut down all these things and allow that heart to become an honest and good heart. Isn't this what we said earlier on? What do we need to receive the gospel? You need a new heart. And then the word of God comes to bear on our lives with the truth that Jesus has come to give us salvation. It has the power not just to sit there and try to grow. It has the power to break up the soil, to break up the rocks, to cut down the weeds, and to allow that fruit to grow. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never heard the gospel before, you've never responded in faith to Christ, this is the message. The message is the good news of the kingdom of forgiveness, of salvation, of peace. That because of your sin, you are not at peace with God. You are under God's condemnation. You are under his wrath. You are held accountable for your sins. But Jesus has come to live the perfect life that we could not, then to die and to take our penalty. And he comes and he says, if you will turn in faith to me, if you'll put your faith in me alone, then you will bear fruit. You will be at peace with me. 
You will, you will know the, the good news that I have come, that I will forgive your sins, and I will make you my son or my daughter. And the word comes, and I just would encourage you, it, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let the truth of the gospel sink down and let the word be a hammer to beat on your on the soil of your heart to break it up. Let it be a sword to cut down any weeds. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Let the word get down in and and grow and produce fruit and provide bring salvation. I think that's helpful as we think even as we proclaim the gospel to others. I think that as I as I stand here or as you speak with coworkers or friends or as we go in the neighborhood, we're speaking to different soils. We're speaking to those that Satan is seeking to snatch that up, and we need to pray against that. We need to recognize that people are believing lies of Satan, and we need to, to when we preach the gospel, see that, to to say this soil is, is hard soil, and Satan's going to come in and eat that up quick, and we got to find a way to break that soil up with the word of God. That some of it falls on the rocks. It's it's the flesh. And sin is is enslaving people. And we need to help them see that they are enslaved. And to see that the gospel is something that will bring freedom and will bring life. And others are concerned with the cares of the world. And we need to help them see that this world is not all that there is. And so as we talk to people, we see these different soils. And we want, to, we want them to be good soil. And we want to be good soil. If the word of God has come into your life and broken up the hard soil of your life such that you are producing fruit, that you are a believer, then the word of God continually comes to bear on you as you read it, as you hear it, as you listen to others speak it. Uh, I was talking with Joel and really helped me see this other dimension that it's, that it, it, I think the primary application is for the proclamation of the gospel, but it's also when we sit down and we read our Bibles in the morning. The devil doesn't want us to understand what we're saying. The devil wants us to believe the lies that we've heard earlier in the week, and we need to fight against that. There is, we, our hearts sometimes are, are rocky. The sin that is in our lives is keeping us from hearing the truth. We need to confess sin. We need to see that that's what our hearts can become. Or, or the cares of the world choke out the word. They choke it out. This is why I have to read my Bible first thing in the morning, because otherwise my brain gets going and the cares of the world choke out the word that I'm trying to read. Because as I'm reading it, that whole thing where you read the whole page and you have no idea what you just read because you're thinking about everything else that you have to do later on. The cares of the world choke out the, the word. And so when the word comes into our lives, we need to, to seek to be this good soil. And what is the good soil? It's those who hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. God gives us this honest, good heart, and then he calls us to patience, to perseverance, to endurance. Seeds don't spring up right away. There's time to to germinate, time for them to grow, and sometimes it just takes time, but we need to be continually planting God's word in our life so that it will blossom and bring forth fruit so uh, this this passage is one that, that just causes us to examine our hearts because the fruit of the truth planted in our lives is determined by the soil of our heart so what kind of fruit are we going to produce it all hinges on what the soil of our heart looks like is it hard is is the devil coming in and deceiving us with lies is it is it rocky is sin crowding out God's word? Do we need to, to break it up 
because because the flesh is the enemy that's that's temptation we've we've given in to temptation and god's word has has no place in our hearts because it's so filled with with sin and we just need to confess sin and then replace it with god's word and allow it to bear fruit or have we become so consumed with with, with the world so consumed with the pleasures of this world, so concerned with the cares of this world, with the riches of this world, that that, that becomes our primary focus, and God's word cannot bear fruit because we're so concerned about everything else that seems to have become important to us. What we want is we want these this good heart that will hold fast to God's word and bear fruit with patience. It, it's, it's, it causes us to examine our hearts, and I think even thinking about that, if our hearts are not bearing fruit, if there is no fruit, if we say that, that that we are believers in Jesus, but there is no fruit growing in our lives, then what kind of soil are we? We're one of the three other ones. And that's a scary thing to say. I think there are times in our lives where maybe the fruit is not there as much, but we need to be bearing fruit. And if you say that you are a follower of Christ, but but you have no fruit in your life, then, then I say you need to look and see, is your heart hard and that Satan is taking away the word? Are you being choked out by the cares of this world? Is sin causing you to not bear fruit? And if you are a believer, then take a look at your heart and see, am I allowing the word to get down deep in and to bear fruit? If we are, then we will look like Mary Magdalene, we will look like Joanna, we will look like Susanna and these many others. Who, who out of the overflow of the, the gospel that went down deep into them, they then, in grateful service, produced this wonderful fruit that, that caused the, the mission of Jesus to go forward in the world and to proclaim that good news. So let me pause and, and pray for us before we come to the Lord's table. Lord, I put confidence in the fact that your word is more powerful than mine. Your word is a, power, is a hammer, it is a sword, and you can take the weakness of what I've said and use it. Lord, I pray that whatever's here, that Satan would not come in and steal, that sin would not block from producing fruit, that the cares of the world would not choke it out. But whatever is true, it would hold fast and produce fruit in good and honest hearts. Our confidence is in you alone, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.